Good morning, everyone. So, uh, looks like we're all ready to go. I wanted to start out this morning uh, just with a uh, request for prayer for me this morning. And there's a specific reason why, because I realized the weakness of someone speaking and to be able to remember it. And it kind of hit home this morning. This is the reason why. I've been spending two weeks going through this message. I've got five points to this message. I broke it down into each point. I researched the point to make sure that I wasn't making this stuff up, found it. Other places in scriptures. Went through the story about the Philippians, and I wanted to be able to bring it home to us, so I'm going to tie in um, George Mueller and the people who gave to George Mueller as well. So I've been working with this for two weeks, and on the way down, I was reviewing in my head, and I was thinking, you know, most of this sermon is found in this sermon, or most of this Philippians passage is you can find directly in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as I was driving down, I was thinking, okay, point one is this, and that's in this verse. And I said, and point two is, I've got no clue. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll go on to point three. I'm like, uh, nothing. I'm like, well, I'll go on to point four. I'm like, uh, nothing at all. I'm like, well, I know what point five is, so we got that one. So when we listen, sometimes we have a hard time with details and remembering details. But we can kind of remember the whole flow and the whole idea of what it was. I heard Greg Gilbert speak once. And he's a, he's a pastor who wrote the book, What is, the, what is This Gospel? Is this month's um, uh, book of the month? And he said, I used to think that people would listen to a sermon. It would be like a file box. And they would listen to it word for word, and they put it in the file box. And when they wanted to get it, they would get it out. And he said, I was disappointed to find out that no one could remember what I'd preached on the week before. He said, people aren't like that. But what they do, he said, it's, I think he used the word iron, but I'm using clay. But he said, it's more like a powder using clay where... When the potter starts out, he kind of like punches it and, you know, kind of does this. And like each week, it's a little more and it's a little more. And eventually, it's all formed, so we get it. So if you don't get all the details this morning, try to get like the picture of the flow, the whole idea. And one idea that I want you to take out of this is just that God is pleased when we give. And so if you don't get anything else than that, just realize that God is pleased with us when we give. So I want you to pray. Just that the Spirit will just be with us this morning. Father God, we come before you now. And again, I understand the weakness of our memory. Because after I've worked two weeks on this, I couldn't remember what my own points were that I wanted to preach on. So Lord, if I can't remember, uh, it's going to be much more difficult to remember individual uh, points like a uh, sheet on a paper or an encyclopedia or a dictionary, Lord. But I pray that you'll just uh, move in our hearts, Lord. Make that one little change that will change our lives today, Lord. Give us the feel for what it is that you want us to know, so that if we can't remember, Lord, what all the little details are, we can remember what the general idea is, and that's that you're pleased when we give. So, Lord, be with us this morning, I pray. Amen. So, there's different ways that the Bible uses to teach us, and some of them, there are specific commands, thou shalt not steal. In other things, there's stories, and we kind of follow this narrative, and we can do it. Today's isn't a distinct command, and it's not really a story, but what it is is in Philippians, Paul is thanking, no, yeah, in the book of Philippians, Paul is thanking the Philippians for the gift that they have given us. So we're going to look at this and kind of look look at it, and we're going to take our, our uh, the, <laughs> okay, pray again, because I can't even think of the words. <laughs> 
All right, so it's not really a command. It's not really a story. It's Paul thanking us, and that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to look at the, uh, um, the passage here. So as well, we're going to look at George Mueller. And we're not going to look at George Mueller himself, but we're going to look at the people who gave to George Mueller's ministry. George Mueller lived in the 1800s, and he lived in England. And George Mueller had this incredible faith. And he trusted God for everything. And he wanted the world to see that God answered prayer. And that's what his goal was, to, to build people's faith up. And he looked around and he tried to find a way that he could do this. And he looked at the orphans. There were 6,000 orphans who I believe were in the prisons because there were no orphanage houses for them at all. And so he wanted to start these orphans for them. And his goal was to... Never ask anyone ever for money. But he was going to ask God for money. And he wanted the world to know that God would provide. It was this faith in God. So to start out with, he had 50 cents is all he had. So in those days, actually 50 cents, I went online to figure out what it was. And that was about a day's wage. That's what he had to start out with. By the end of his life, he had built five large orphanages. He had cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. And he had said that if they ever went without a meal, that he would take that as God's sign that he should discontinue the work. In 60 years, I did the math, three meals a day, 365 days a year, it ends up being 65,700 meals that were provided for. Never once did the children go without food. And this was all based on people giving to this ministry. It was faith in God. It was God using people in answering those prayers. So let's look at our passage today. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 and 20. And just as these people helped George Mueller, the Philippians had helped the Apostle Paul when he began uh, his ministry. It's Philippians 4, verses 14 through 20. We have an overhead for this. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, the five points for this morning... If you are able to remember points or details, this is in your bulletins, by the way. We have an insert in there. Um, Five points. Number one, God has called us to give. Number two, when we give, we bear fruit that increases to our credit. And in parentheses there, the health and the wealth gospel is a distortion of this teaching. Number three, our giving is pleasing to God. Number four, God will supply every need of yours. And number five, it is for God's glory. Point number one, God has called us to give. The Apostle Paul 
goes to Macedonia, and he starts three churches. He, starts, he goes to Philippi first, then he goes to Thessalonica, and then he goes to Berea after that. And he has Silas with him, so the two of them uh, go there. And when they get into Philippi, they're there for a while, and the crowd ends up attacking them. And the magistrates, these city officials come in, and they tear the clothes off him, and they command that he's beaten. And so he's beaten, and then he's thrown in prison. This happens in Philippi. When he gets out, there's a miraculous story about how he gets out. When he gets out, though, he leaves there, and he goes to the next town. The next town is Thessalonica. And there's this Jewish uprising against him, and they drive him out of town. As soon as he leaves Thessalonica, he goes to Berea, and the exact same thing happens. And in fact, not only does the same thing happen, but these Jewish people who started this uproar in Thessalonica follow him to the next city, to Berea, and get all the people up there in a huge uproar as well. And so this is the climate that's going on. Everywhere Paul goes, they're trying to drive him out of the city. They're trying to beat him up. They're trying to kill him. At one point, they stoned him, and they thought he was dead and just left him. This is the climate that's going on. And you know what the Philippians do in this climate, in this hostile climate? It says that they partner with him. They send him money, and they do this again, and they do this again. Even when he's in Thessalonica, with all the stuff going on, they're sending him money to Thessalonica so they can continue his, his thing. They send Epaphrodites to him. And we don't know what it was, but somehow or another, Epaphrodites almost ends up uh, dying. We don't know if, uh, what the cause of his illness or what, but they send him to him. Epaphrodites almost dies trying to help him out. These Philippians have done all they can to help out in this kind of an environment. And that's what the environment is like on the outside. On the inside, the environment, these people are dirt poor. In 2 Corinthians, it says that all the Macedonian churches were poor and that they gave out of their poverty. So that's going outside. This is going inside. But they've just became Christians when Paul is there. And as soon as they become Christians, they begin to help. As soon as they become Christians, they begin to give. To be a Christian is to give. And it's a sign that God is working in your life. God gives us his grace. Christ Jesus gave us his life. And we are made in the image of God. And if we are Christians, we too will give. Point number two. When we bear fruit, or when we give, we bear fruit that increases to our credit. Verse 17 says this. It says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul says, I don't seek this gift. Why do you think Paul is telling these Philippians, I don't seek this gift, right? Because it sounds like it's either he's being rude or, you know, it's like a false modesty or it's just like, well, I don't really need it. You know, yeah, thanks for nothing, (laughs) that kind of a thing. But it isn't that case at all. And he gives us three reasons for it. And actually, one of the reasons it doesn't seem like that case because he's stuck in prison. He, when he writes this letter, he's, he's stuck in prison. So obviously, he needs help. But he gives three reasons why he can say that he doesn't seek the gift. The first one was the message that we had seen last week. It was verses 10 through 13, where he says, I've learned to be content in all things. He said, I've learned to be content when I abound, and I've learned to be content uh, 
when I'm low. When he's poor, he's lured to be content. And he found the reason he can do this is because God strengthens him. He says, I, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God gives him the power to not only endure and get through hardships, to get through this poverty state that he's in, but he gives him the ability to be content in it. He's not just enduring, but he's like, I am content in this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the second reason is that Paul knows that God will supply all of his needs. So even if the Philippians weren't able to contribute because we know their poverty, even if they weren't able to contribute, God would have given Paul his help some other way. He would have supplied it in some other way. And Paul realizes this. The third reason, and this is probably the biggest reason why he says, I don't seek the gift, is because he doesn't seek it for himself, but he seeks it for the Philippians. He seeks it for the Philippians' own good. He says that he seeks it because of the fruit that will increase to their credit. He wants, them, he wants their fruit to increase. He wants them to experience this good fruit that comes from giving. And God wants us to experience the same fruit that comes from giving. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this fruit that we want to experience? And for this, we do go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And we have an overhead for this. And if you look in your Bible, it's Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through 21. And Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and where rust will destroy, and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, in this passage, God is saying that this fruit is this treasure that's in heaven. This treasure in heaven is being stored up for you. On earth, it can be lost, it can be destroyed, it can be gone. We know that, uh, you know, things can be gone in a fire or, or if we put money in a stock market, you know, we can see what happened back in, what was it, 1929 when the whole thing crashed. And so we have these things. We can, look at, we can look at Greece's economy and realize that we can't, you know, hold our treasure here. And he's saying our treasure is in heaven. And in heaven, nothing can touch it. So we don't know exactly what this is going to be. We don't really know exactly what it's going to look like. The scripture is clear. It says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But we do know this, that there will be a reward. We know that there will be a treasure in heaven that's waiting for us. Uh, one commentator put it this way. We have an overhead for this as well. Uh, this guy's name is Stuart Weber. And uh, he says this. He says, uh, Jesus was summarizing why the kingdom servant is motivated to practice righteous acts. It is not for temporary honor among men on earth, but for eternal reward before the Father in heaven. The point of this life is preparation for the world to come. The present tense here can be translated, stop storing up treasures on earth. But Jesus does specifically command us to store up for yourself in heaven. There is no permanence in this world. You cannot take your treasure into the next world, but you can send it on ahead through kingdom-oriented stewardship. And he goes on, he says, Jesus 
not only saw nothing wrong with his followers working for reward, he went so far as to command it. And the New Testament clearly encourages it. Jesus' words in the last few verses of the Bible emphasize it. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Give to the needy in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Pray in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fast in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. But if you take what we have here, and you don't store yourself up treasures in heaven, if you only spend it on yourself, if you only think of yourself, you're going to miss it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? See, but if you use your money for God and for his kingdom, your heart will be for God and his people, and you will store up your treasures in heaven. So this is the danger here in this whole, you know, Jesus said that there's a reward. And so some people have taken this and they've done this whole health and wealth gospel or this or passages like this where um, that are in there into thinking that there's some kind of a contract where we can manipulate God. And if we give to God, he has to give back to us. And so they think that if we give to God, he has to, you know, bless my life with much money. He has to bless my life with much happiness. He has to bless my life with uh, much health. And if I struggle with any of these things, then there's something wrong. But the Bible never teaches that, ever. It's very, very clear that if you're a Christian, you will suffer. Christ suffered, and Christ gave everything he could. Right? Christ gave every single thing that he could, including his life, and he suffered. And even in this passage that we're looking at, right, Paul, and I don't think any of us could compare ourselves to the, you know, the holiness or the righteousness of Paul, but here Paul is in prison, and he needs people to support him. And he's probably the most holy and righteous one that there is. And so just by virtue of this right here, we know this. And he was sick as well, right? He had this thorn in his flesh that he asked God three times to remove, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so we know that this whole health and wealth gospel is a distortion. And this passage is saying that, and the Sermon on the Mount is saying that we are called to give. Jesus Christ gave his life. God gave us his grace, and there's going to be rewards, but that reward is in heaven. That reward isn't here. It isn't, you know, more money or a nicer house or a better car or anything at all. But it's a reward that's to be found in heaven. So what God did promise was that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He's promised that he will supply all of our needs. That he will give us this peace that surpasses, that surpasses all knowledge. He's given us this promise that we can do all things through him because he strengthens us. He promises that when we give, we bear fruit that increases to our credit. So George Mueller lived in this God's provision for 60 years. And he saw 50,000 direct 
answers to prayer. And he saw thousands of people give to God's work. And he saw um, God working in this way. Point number three. You with me so far? <laughs> okay, just want to make sure. This is where I got lost, but I was trying to remember. Okay, somewhere between point two and three. So I just want to make sure you're with me. So, point number three. Our giving is pleasing to God. Verse 18 says, The gifts that you send are a fragrant offering. They're a sacrifice that are acceptable and they're pleasing to God. Do you want to please God? Then give. Give to the church. Give to his people. Give to his work. Your gifts are acceptable. Your gifts are pleasing to God. Now, as soon as Paul's uh, audience would have heard this, these words, a fragrant offering, an acceptable uh, sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice, would have immediately thought of the Old Testament. They would have immediately thought of the sacrificial system. They would have immediately thought of Noah because these same words are used there. So God decides to flood the world, and he puts Noah on the ark. And Noah is going to be the person who... um, who he saves from the mankind. Mankind is, is so bad that God destroys the world. When Noah gets off the ark, he builds an altar. And he makes a sacrifice to God. And it says that God smelled it and said that it was a pleasing aroma. It's the same words that Paul is using right here. And when God is pleased with this uh, sacrifice that Noah does, he says this, says, the Lord said in his heart, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never again will I strike down every living creature as I I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God was pleased with Noah's sacrifice. Even though he looked at Noah, even though he looked at mankind and said his, his heart is full of evil intention all the time, from the time he's born. And yet God is pleased. And he says, I will never send the flood again. So Paul's Jewish hearers he, he, hear this, and they're instantly comforted because they think God knows my heart. God knows that there's sin indwelling in me. God knows all of this weaknesses and imperfections and, you know, sin and anger and hostility and all this stuff that, that's in there that I try to deal with. But he still accepts my gifts. And not only does he accept my gifts, but it's a fragrant offering to him. It is acceptable to him. It is pleasing to God. My gift is pleasing to God. So... Judge for yourself, this is a story by George Mueller, one of the people who gave to George Mueller, and judge if this would be pleasing to you. There was a poor man who didn't have much money and is a notorious drunk. And George Mueller said he had a large family and a small wage. And so his boss would give him money for beer just to supplement his income, I guess, or whatever. And he becomes a Christian. He then saves this beer money from his boss And when he had accumulated one pound, 
of this money, this British money. When he accumulated a pound, he gave it to the orphanage. So I had to figure out how much did he save. I wonder how long it took him to, right? Because he's, he's a drunk. Boss gives him beer money, becomes a Christian, saves the money until he has a pound. Being from, you know, Minnesota, a pound is, you know, corn or something like that. <laughs> so, okay, so here's what the English thing was back then. A pound was like their standard. And then they had shillings that were less than a pound. It was 20 shillings for every pound. And then the shillings were broken down and into pennies. So there was 12 pennies per shilling, which I'm losing myself, so let me just do it this way. Here's the pound as their standard thing. A shilling is 1 20th. It takes 20 shillings to make a pound. It takes 240 pennies to make a pound. 240 pennies to make a pound. The average wage back then for it said for just a general laborer, they had like artisans and like laborers, I think, was 40 pennies a day. He saved up 240 pennies from this beer money, and then he gave it. He gave it as he gave it away. So it was a serious thing that he did, and it would have taken him quite some time to do it. He's only getting 40 cents a day. I don't know how much beer money he's getting on top of the 40 cents. But he took this money, and he saved it. Now, do you think God would be pleased with such, with such a thing as that? Number four, God will supply every need of yours. This is found in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, we want to look at the context that Paul is making this statement in. These Philippians have given to Paul over and over, and they've done it out of poverty, not out of riches. And they've given when they've had almost nothing. So this promise is given to the Philippians who have given from their heart. This promise isn't given to people who hoard their money and spend it only on themselves. 1 John 3.17 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods, and he sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does God's love abide in you if you're the means to help someone and you don't? But the Philippians did help. And they helped Paul greatly. And it's like Paul is looking at them and he's saying this. He's saying, the same God that has supplied me over and over, the same God who hasn't forgotten me. He hasn't left me alone. He hasn't left me helpless, even though these people are beating me and they're stoning me and they're these mobs against me kicking out. He supplied every one of my needs. And this is the same God who has moved you in your poverty to give to me. He will never, ever not supply your needs. And this is, the, this is what Paul is trying to say. God will supply all of your needs. And he does this out of, according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It is through Jesus Christ that he gives them. God says that he will supply every need of yours. So the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that God will supply every need of yours? 
Because if we're honest, there's times that we doubt this promise. We'd probably never say it out loud. But sometimes in our heart, we doubt this. We don't really think that God will supply all of our needs. And this often shows up in our giving. We don't think we make enough to tithe to the church. We're afraid that if we do, we won't be able to make it in other areas. We're afraid that some of the bills won't get paid. But God is saying, I will supply all of your needs. And we need to reach out in faith here, even when it's hard. Because this is a promise that God will supply all of your needs. He will not break his promises. Even poverty, even poverty in the Bible is not a reason for not giving. There are only three churches in Macedonia, the Philippians, Thessalonians, and the Bereans. Paul says at the beginning of his ministry, only the Philippians gave to him. So in this passage in 2 Corinthians, we have an overhead for this. In this passage, if it's not directly to the Philippians themselves, it certainly includes the Philippians. There was only three churches there, and they were the first ones to help. But he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. We can always give something. Remember the widow who Jesus saw? There was the people that were giving their money in the offering, and the rich people came up and they gave, and the widow came up and said she had two coins that were worth a penny, and she gave her two coins. And Jesus said that she gave more than anyone else did. He said everyone else gave out of their abundance. But said she gave out of her poverty. And she was the one that Jesus recognized. And said, this is what I want my people to know. Jesus said, this is what I want my children to learn. And I'm taking her to use an example of what giving should be. He could have taken anybody who had walked up and gave, but he chose that widow to be an example to us. Obviously, this giving is to be done wisely. And this passage says that they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to the will of God, and then they gave. And we can see that same thing in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. He says almost the same thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all of this will be provided to you. So we seek God first. Because nowhere does God tell us to be foolish. He tells us to be wise. But most people don't struggle with giving too much in their poverty. Most people struggle giving too little. And in this whole idea of giving, in this whole idea um, of rewards, um, It looks like I'm lost. It's because I'm lost. <laughs> I have something on my, on my I've written, written in pen, a little note in here, something with George Mueller, and I can't figure out what it is, so I'm just going to say this. God is definitely going to supply all of our needs, right? George Mueller, 
uh, what was it, 60,000 meals, 60 years, 10,000 kids, all of these things. God supplied his needs in poverty. And there was people who gave to him who were abundantly wealthy and gave great amounts, you know, 500 pounds at a time. There was other people who gave a few pennies or a few shillings or a pound. But he was supplied the whole time. Number five, giving is for God's glory. This is found in verse 20. And so, as we're going on this passage, you know, Paul is saying all this thing. He said, it was kind of you to share. You yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel when I left you help. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. And then he breaks into this thing where it says, to our God and our Father be the glory forever and ever. This sounds like the closing of a letter. It sounds like that, you know, you got like the introduction and then you have the body of the letter and then school teachers know what that last thing is called, but there's <laughs> that little, that third part. It sounds like that's what it is. Um, what is it? Closing. And the closing. It sounds like it's the closing, but it's not. The closing comes after this. The closing comes next week. Pastor Paul's going to preach in the closing next week. But here he's just breaking into when he's talking about it and he sees what these people have done. He sees their giving. He sees God working in their lives. He sees God supplying their needs. Out of their poverty, they're giving. They, we want to give more. And God supplies their needs. And he just breaks out and he says, To our God and our Father be glory forever and forever. Amen. He's just right in the middle of it. He just breaks in there. And so our giving to God and to give to his people to give to his church, to give to his work, always results in praise to God. And when we really have the chance to give, when we understand what it is, and when we give from the heart like this, it's going to result in praise because it's to the glory of God. We would not be giving if it wasn't for the glory of God. We would not be giving here if it wasn't for God. Listen to this. Uh, uh, this is from the autobiography of George Mueller once again, and he says this. Um, he says, a brother gave 100 pounds to pay our rent. So for the average person, 100 pounds is two years' salary, the average person. So this person obviously had some money. So he gave two years, basically, of average salary to pay for the rent. He says, in December of last year, I have repeatedly asked the Lord to incline the hearts of this brother to give 100 pounds. And I made a note of this prayer in my journal on December 12, 1835. A month later, on January 25, 1836, 50 pounds were promised by him. And then on November 5th, so almost a year later, 11 months later, 50 pounds more were given. He says, when I remember that this prayer had been noted in my journal, he went back, he got the journal, and he showed it to the donor. He showed his prayer request from the year before. The exact amount, 100 pounds. He says, we rejoice together. He rejoiced because he had been the instrument in giving. And he said, I rejoice because I had the request granted by God. It just naturally overflows into glory for God when we realize what this giving is. So I have some suggestions based on what we learned this morning. The first suggestion is to tie to the church. It's to give to the church. Because this story is clearly 
about giving to churches. Paul is planting churches throughout the area. Philippians, the Philippian church, is one of the churches that he planted. Some of this money went straight to to the already established church in Jerusalem. Some of the money that they collected, they collected, and they gave to an established church already. We have an overhead for this. This is this 1 Corinthians 16. And Paul is instructing the Corinthians in how they should give to the church. And so he says this. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive... I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So they're instructed the first of the week. Set aside the money. It's methodical, thought out, planned out, executed giving to the church. And this is what he says to do. So, another story from George Mueller. He says, we wouldn't have been able to pay the weekly salaries of the teachers hadn't the Lord helped us again today. His whole autobiography is just like one day after another, just like God continually providing for, work, uh, uh, for the work to continue. He says, this evening, he said, a brother gave eight pounds from a number of his workmen who paid weekly one penny each of their own accord toward the funds. The money had been collecting for many months, and now in our time of need, God has put it on the heart of this mother to bring it. So once again, eight pounds is a huge sum of money. And he's got people at work who are methodically, week after week after week, giving a penny to this. Remember, they're making somewhere between 38 and 48 pennies a day, and they're giving a penny. I don't know, it doesn't say out weekly, I guess, um, to this. So once again, I had to do the math. How many pennies are on eight pounds? 1,920 pennies to make up this one pound that they gave. So clearly this is a, a thought-out thing, just like this First Corinthians. They thought it out, and they decided to do it together. They wanted to do it, and they just, and they just gave and gave and gave. Uh, suggestion number two, give through your care group. If someone has a need, this is really ideally the first place that we would start would be in the care group, and that we'd bring needs up in there. This is an excellent place, and this is an excellent way that we can show our love and our care for each other on just a person-to-person basis through our care groups if someone has a, if someone has a need. First John 1.18 says this. It says, little, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Third suggestion, give to missions. This is clearly, this Philippian story is clearly also about mission work, Right? Because Paul is going and he's evangelizing all over this region. People have never heard of Christ. People have never heard the gospel. They have never heard what the gospel is. The gospel is that we are sinners. We are enemies of God. And we are damned because of our sins. Jesus Christ is God. He comes down from heaven. He leads this perfect life. And he suffers. And he dies on the cross in order to forgive our sins. He takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness. And so if we confess our sins and if we believe in him, we will be saved. He died and he rose again in order to do this. And this is this gospel that 
the Apostle Paul is taking out. He's doing this missionary work. He's bringing this gospel. He's bringing out. We have people today that are doing the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul did. They're going out, and they're bringing the gospel to different people. Number four, keep some money at home that is always ready for someone in need. Just keep an envelope with some money that you're willing or that you want to give if someone has a need. There's nothing like having someone over in your house and they're telling you about this need that they have. And for you to be able to go into the other room to get the envelope, to take the money out, to bring it back, and to give it to them. There's just nothing like that. And just like the George Mueller thing, it always ends up in Thanksgiving. And it always ends up in praise. And so I encourage you, have an envelope somewhere that has some money that you can give. I know some people who, who, when they get their income tax back, take a portion of that income tax for that very reason alone. That that portion they've taken from the income tax is just directly for people that they encounter who have a need. It's not the giving to the church. It's not the giving to the missions. It's stuff that they have extra that they say, I want this so if someone comes into my house and they have a need, I can give it to, I can give it to them. Number five, Give generously and give without regrets. We have an overhead for this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says this. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. George Mueller tells a story, too, where he went to visit this woman, and this woman seemed like she was really hurting for money. And George says, my money and my house are yours. And she says, I don't need it. She said, I have 500 pounds stored up. And she felt like God had given her this money. It doesn't say how she acquired the money. And she said she felt like God wanted her to do something with it, but she didn't know what to do with it. So she asked George Mueller to pray about the money. And so George prayed and said every single day for 22 days, and then he saw the lady again. And the lady said that she wanted to give it to the orphanage. And George said, he said this, he said, He told her it would be far better. Anyway, what he said was, he said, just wait for at least two weeks. Make sure that you want to give away this money. He said, it would be better if you kept this money than to give it away and then later on regret that you gave it and then dishonor God because you gave it and you regretted it. So she waits. She waits two and a half weeks, and she comes back, and she says, yes, this is what I want to do. But she's going to take a while before I can get it because it's got to go through banks and this and that. She had it somewhere like that. It ended up taking almost six months before the money came through. So she had plenty of time to think about it. And George Mueller has spoke to her again and said, make sure you want to do this. Make sure you want to give away this money. It's a lot of money. I don't want you to give away and regret it. Six months later, she comes back and she writes in this letter, she said, I am, so, I am thankful to say that I have never, for one moment, had the slightest feeling of regret, but it is wholly of the Lord's abounding grace as I speak it to his praise. Number six, 
Ask God to bless you so that you can give more away. Be bold before God. You know, George Mueller, at the end of his, or not at the end, but when he's looking out, he's looking at all these people who have helped. And he's looking at just, you know, thousands of people who have given. And he said this. He said, most of the Lord, oh, no, this is, sorry, (laughs) in the wrong context. Here's what happens. This is before. He's looking around at the people around him, and he sees how poor they are. And he says this. He says, most of the Lord's people whom we know in Bristol are poor. This morning while sitting in my room, the distress of several of the brothers was brought to my mind. And I said to myself, if only, if only the Lord would give me the means to help them. An hour later, an hour later, I received 60 pounds, which I used to buy bread for the poor. He says, the child of God must be willing to be a channel through which God's abundant blessings flow. This channel is narrow and shallow at first, yet some of the waters of God's bounty can pass through. If we cheerfully yield ourselves to this promise, the channel becomes wider, becomes deeper, allowing more of the bounty of God to pass through. We cannot limit the extent to which God, being, which God may use us as instruments in communicating blessing if we're willing to yield ourselves to him and careful to give him all the glory. I'm going to close with and just read this one last story because there's a story about this, this widow. And I believe she was a widow. And um, she gives to George, to the orphanage. And it kind of summarizes every single thing that we have saw this morning. So let me just read this. It says this. It says, One sister in particular was a great source of blessing to me, as she gave generously, although she had little. She earned only a few shillings a week as a seamstress. The average uh, person made nine shillings a week. This woman made three. So she only earned a few shillings a week as a seamstress. When her father died, he left her 400 pounds. She paid off the substantial debts that he had contracted. She gave 100 pounds to her mother and brought another 100 pounds to me for the work of the orphanage. Before accepting the, mother, the money, I had a long conversation with her. I needed to know her motives and whether she might have given this money emotionally without having counted the cost. But I hadn't con- conversed long with this beloved sister before I found that she was a quiet, calm, considerate follower of the Lord Jesus. She desired, in spite of what human reasoning might say, to act according to the words of our Lord. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, from Matthew, and sell that you have and give alms from Luke. When I continued questioning her in order that I might see whether she had counted the cost, she said to me, the Lord Jesus gave his last drop of blood for me. Should I not give him the hundred pounds. George says four things must be noticed about this beloved sister. Number one, she did all these things in secret and thus proved that she did not desire the praise of man. Number two, she remained as before of a humble and a lowly mind. She gave her money for the Lord and not to impress man. Number three, during all this time that she had this comparative abundance, she didn't change her lodging, her dress, or manner of life. She remained in every way the poor handmaiden of the Lord to all outward appearance. Number four, she continued to work at her sewing all the time, earning three shillings or a little more a week while she gave away the money in five-pound notes. So in a five-pound note, there's 100 shillings. She's making three shillings a week, and she's giving away 100 shillings at a time. 
At last, all of her money was gone several years before her death, and she found herself completely dependent upon the Lord, who never forsook her, up to the very last moment of her earthly life. Her body grew weaker. She was able to work very little, but the Lord supplied her what she needed, although she never asked for anything. For instance, a sister in the fellowship sent her all the bread that she needed. She was full of thanksgiving, and she was always praising the Lord. God has called you to give. The band can come up. God has called you to give, and your giving is fruitful. It is pleasing to God. He will supply your needs for his glory. Father God, we come before you now. And we just uh, thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the promises that are found in this word. Lord, oftentimes giving seems to come across as being a negative thing, Lord. And so often we get people who are asking us for our money. And Lord, here you are saying that if we give to you, Lord, we will be rewarded. You say that if you we give to you, you will be pleased with us. Our giving pleases you. It is a sweet aroma to you, Lord. You promise here that you will supply every one of our needs. Oh, Lord, help us here. Lord, help us as we fight against doubt when it comes to this promise that you will supply our needs. Lord, you will supply our needs. It is our promise, Lord. But so often we think money will supply our needs. And that we need more money than what we have. But Lord, help us to give to you, Lord. Help our heart to be like these people that we saw this morning who out of their poverty they give. Out of their love they give. Out of their uh, changed lives, Lord, where they exchange beer money for giving to you. Lord, let us be like these people. Oh, Lord, we help you. We pray that you will help us, I mean. In your name we pray. Amen. Excellent, uh, compelling reasons from Philippians on giving. Um, And just as we...